First, then, we'll hear the commandment, the eighth commandment from Exodus chapter 20. God says this, you shall not steal. Then in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28, the Apostle Paul writes this, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Then 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnest, earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And then John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you would now attend your word by your spirit. That you would take this word and that you would write it upon our hearts. Father, we know that when you speak, your word never returns to you empty, but it accomplishes the purposes for which you set it forth. And so our prayer this morning is that by your word and spirit, you would bring life where there is no life. And that you would quicken those who, whose hearts are hardened. That you would renew the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you would challenge us towards lives of faithfulness before you. Father, you know all of us in this room and you know that there are some who come this morning skeptical of your word. You know that there are some who come this morning filled with doubts. You know that there are some who come this morning who feel incredibly burdened in their lives right now. And they come wanting to hear just a word or a sentence that will help them carry on in the week to come. Still, there are others who come this morning who feel to be walking very closely with you right now in their lives. There are others who come this morning thrilled and excited to be with your people. We all come from different places, unique individuals as we are, dealing with the providences that you have brought into our lives individually, but we all have a common need this morning. And that common need is that we need to see how sinful we really are. We need you to reveal to us that we are 
more sinful than we very often give ourselves credit. But we also need to see that because of Jesus and because of the gospel that we are at the same time far more loved and secure than we could have ever dared dreamed possible. So, Father, we we pray that you would reveal us to ourselves, but that you would not leave us there, but that you would take our eyes and that you would put them on Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So is uh, is stealing really a problem for us? Um, You know, it's estimated that every year there are 10 million acts of robbery committed in the United States. And that doesn't even come close to the full picture because that doesn't count what largely has become uh, acceptable forms of stealing in our culture. You know, the IRS estimates that $20 billion a year are stolen in unpaid taxes. An estimated $40 billion a year is stolen by employees from their employers. We're talking about lying about hours, long-distance calls at works, taking supplies, dishonest expense accounts, and everything else you could imagine. $350 million a year is lost to, uh, dis- lost to business by dishonest sick days. You know, you pay, you and I pay an extra 15% more money for things simply because of theft. I mean, we pay 15% more on clothes, cars, gas, computers, whatever, because of the problem of theft. Stealing is a problem, but I think the biggest problem when it comes to stealing is this. You and I, we don't think we're thieves. You know, I, I have no idea if um, Dr. Seuss was a Christian or not, but... Um, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas is a theological masterpiece. And, um, you know, when we were kids, I can remember, you know, Christmas time was approaching, and we used to always love it when that little cartoon came on TV. We were so excited by it. And here's the theological part of that story. There's this green, ugly hermit creature. You know, he's living on the top of this mountain, and this scene shows him looking down upon Who Village. I hope some of you are remembering this. Um, and the Who's are partying, you know, they're getting ready for their feast, they're singing songs, they're decorating, they're putting the finishing touch on all their gifts and presents. And there is this Grinch, and it shows him listening to their songs, and they rise up to his little perch, right? And so he decides that he is going to ruin their Christmas by stealing all of their things. And this is where you get to see a close-up of the Grinch's heart. You remember this? You know, that. They come in, and you can't even see it at first. And then they bring in this magnifying glass, and you see this tiny little atrophied heart inside the Grinch. And here's what I'm getting at. Dr. Seuss is saying in that theological work of his that stealing is a matter of the heart. That is the root of the problem. And, of course, Dr. Seuss wasn't the first to make that connection between stealing and the heart. That was... God, and here's what this means for us this morning. You and I cannot escape this commandment any easier than any of the others because they all go to the heart. So, see, we always, we always seem to be hoping that there's just one that we can slide by on, right? You know, well, I don't have a problem with that one. But it never happens. And so the simple things I want us to see this morning are how we take wrongly, how we are meant to work, and how God calls us to be givers. So here's the first point, taking. 
why shouldn't we why shouldn't we steal or take wrongly from others? And I want to suggest to you that it is because stuff matters. And having things is important. I mean, having stuff, having money and being able to buy stuff, or even in the realm of thought, you know, having your own ideas and having your own thoughts makes you feel human. This is why extreme communism has always proved a failure. See, when God made man and woman, he gave them stuff. He gave them a material world. You know, a a garden with trees, plants, and animals. And God put them in the garden and he told them to take care of it. Having possessions and caring for those possessions is part of what it means to be human. It is part of what it means to be made in God's image. And it's the reason when someone takes something from you, it feels like they took more than just an object from you, right? It feels like they took a part of your humanity. What if you were to leave church this morning and you were to go home and you found upon going home that someone has broken into your house and they've come in and they've robbed you. The door was left open, your computer, your TV, your your jewelry, your other valuables, they're all gone and missing. You would be angry, but you would feel more than that. You would feel violated. You you know, several years ago, um, someone broke into my car and they they stole a bunch of stuff out of my car. And I didn't have anything. It wasn't anything of real high value or anything like that. And on one level, I could just say, you know, it's it's just stuff, you know, and it it could all easily be replaced. But what I felt was violated. What I felt was disrespected. While I was asleep inside of my house, someone was going through my car and sifting through my junk. And taking what didn't belong to them. You see, my point is this. It's always more than the stuff. When you take wrongly, you aren't just taking stuff. You are taking someone's dignity. You're taking away from what they were meant to do and be. So how do we take wrongly from others? You know, at first we we think about this and we we think about the very obvious things, right? You know, the break-in, the purse snatcher, identity theft, you know, the car thief, the bank robber, and so on. And and of course those things are stealing and what God is talking about. But stealing covers a much broader spectrum than that because it is taking anything that belongs to someone else or taking anything that doesn't belong to you. You know, we got to think about things like copyright laws, uh, you know, as far as music on the Internet is concerned. What about plagiarism and stealing someone else's ideas or words and when you borrow money from someone never to return it? Or when you steal by taking sick days when you're not really sick or when you're simply lazy at work and you steal your employer's time by not working hard? Or when you simply take credit for something that someone else has done? False advertising, not reporting taxes, cutting corners and so on. We don't have the time, but, you know, in the Bible, in places it talks about stealing someone's heart. And I know that sounds cheesy and, you know, oh, he stole her heart. But what the Bible is talking about in those places is it's talking about someone manipulating someone else, someone stealing from them, playing with someone's emotions to get what they want. But the biggest question in all of this, I think, has to be, why do you take what doesn't belong to you? And the honest answer is that we do not trust that God will provide for us. So, so you take an answer on a test, right? You cheat. Or you steal someone's ideas, or you find something that you want, and what you begin to feel is that God should have given this to me. And so instead of trusting in his provision, you reach out and you take it, and you feel like God was unfair with you. 
not providing for you. You treat him like an unjust giver and not the father who always gives good gifts to his children. You see, a key to understanding this command is that everything belongs to God first. And he gives to all of us as he sees fit. When we take wrongly, this is what we are saying. God will not give me what I need. And more than that, we are saying this. God is not good. And he is not good to me. You know, I went to teach at a conference several years ago. And I had a conversation with this man that I have not been able to forget. This man, he was a preacher in South Mississippi. And we knew each other from seminary, you know, preacher school. And uh But we didn't know each other very well because our time just kind of overlapped and we weren't in a lot of the same classes and everything. And during seminary, we didn't live in the same city. And we were talking about our experiences in seminary. And I found out that he had a wife and he had three kids at the time he was in school. And during one point, he got really, really sick. I can't remember what the deal was, but he got sick and he lost his job. And I had no idea that this stuff was going on when I was in seminary. But he was trying to keep up with his studies, and now he was sick and without a job, and he had a family to support, right? And he told me that there were many weeks when they just had no money to put food on their table. And as we talked about those days, he told me that there was something great and there was something wonderful about not knowing where the next meal would come from. Now, that sounds awfully hard to say. How could you ever get to a point where you could say that? How could he say, this is what he was saying. He was saying there's something good and wonderful about knowing that God provides even when there's no money for food. What he was saying is that God was good to him and his family no matter what things look like for him. See, until you get to that point, you can't be free from stealing. Because the root is the heart, and a heart that sees God as unfair and not good, it always, always reaches out and takes what does not belong to it. Well, second, and somewhat briefly, I want you to see that this command is telling us that not only are we not to take wrongly, but we we must work. And I say briefly because we already mentioned some of this when we talked about the fourth commandment where God told us to work for six days and to rest for one. But here's the connection between work and stealing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Paul writes this, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. We'll get to the sharing in the next point. But, but here Paul says, if you're a thief, you need to stop stealing and work. Okay, so refer back to point one. You are a thief. Uh, that means you must work, not take. And it's because God means to provide for you through work, for you to find fulfillment in work. The, these commandments all the time are showing us what God created us to do and be. You know, we typically don't have a view of work that allows us to embrace it. Practically, even though we would never say it out loud, we tend to think that God made us for a beach house, that God made us for the weekend, and that God made us to be entertained in life. So what we do is we work for the weekend, and we treat our jobs, our callings as a means to an end. It's why we have a hard time finding fulfillment in what God made us to do and be. But God says you are made for this purpose. 
Made to care for a part of his universe and to cultivate it and work it and take care of it. You are made to work. You see, if you don't see work as something good and to be embraced in and of itself, you will steal. It's as simple as that. Let let me show you. You steal an answer on that test because you thought you were made for going out with your friends instead of studying. You steal from your boss when you tell them you're sick because you thought you were made for that golf game. And believe me, I struggle with that. You take shortcuts in your business practices because you thought that job was ultimately supposed to serve you. And on and on we could go. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to have fun and enjoy the good things of this life. He does. But what I am saying is if you miss what you are made to do and be, you miss the whole thing. And instead of finding joy in the work God made you for, work will become a curse to you. You know, I once heard someone tell this story about how the government had this project to build a bunch of airplanes. And these airplanes were going to be used for a specific purpose. The, the purpose of these planes was to transport military jeeps, right? And, so, and they wanted to be able to transport them in such a way that they could get in and out of combat very, very quickly. And, and if necessary, you know, people could, could escape, um, escape death and carnage and all that kind of stuff by simply driving these jeeps onto the back of these planes and getting out of there. So the engineers, they got to work, right? And they spent millions of dollars coming up with the plans for these planes and building them. Eventually, they built these planes, and they were state-of-the-art, you know, decked out with all the latest technology, sleek, all that kind of stuff, millions of dollars. But here's the thing. When they finished the plane, they went to put the Jeeps on, and the hole for the Jeeps wasn't big enough. (laughs) They tried everything they could do to squeeze these Jeeps onto the backs of these planes, and the only way they could do it was to deflate the tires and push the Jeeps onto the plane. Now, I don't know about you, and I've never been in a war, but um, that's not how I want to retreat. You know, uh, hold on just a second. I've got to take the air out of these tires. Can somebody help me push this thing on to the back of this plane? The plane was a waste, and it was a waste because the engineers forgot what the purpose of the plane was. Someone should have measured the hole first before anything else, right? You miss the purpose for which God made you, and you miss the whole thing. You miss your calling to embrace work and you miss the whole thing. Here's what we were saying. Taking shortcuts and cutting corners is saying, I can take something or I can get something without work. And being lazy with your work is actually stealing because you are cheating the opportunities that God has given you. And when you don't use the gifts God has given to you, you are stealing from him. God put man in the garden to work and God put you in West Tennessee and in your job to work. He's calling us to work. Well, finally, the third thing we see here is that we're to be givers. Okay, God is saying, don't take wrongly, but work. And now we see that we're to give. That Ephesians chapter 4 passage, it says, stop stealing and work, but it, it has a purpose. So that you can share with those in need. Like some of you here, we have young children in our house, right? Um And for others of you, your children are grown up, and that's great. But we all know that sharing is tough for little kids. And just in case you may have forgotten this about yourself and you forgot what it was like to be a three-year-old, you stunk at it too. 
Um, you were bad at it too. I, I was too. You know, it, it's just that it's so blatant, right? It's so obvious in the life of a three-year-old. But don't begin to think that you are over that stage. Because you see, I hate to admit it, but I look at my kids and I say, stop sharing. But then I think, you know, I'm 35 years old and I'm not that much better. I don't like to share either, right? I mean, what, what's really happened is that we've grown up and we've become much more subtle and sophisticated with our greed and selfishness. You know, extreme communism was bad in point number one and extreme capitalism is bad in point number three. It is dangerous because you begin to assume that you are the only one that matters <laughs> and you can keep on getting and getting and getting without giving. Listen, when it comes to commandment number eight, there is no in-between, okay? Someone once said it this way, you are either a thief or radically generous. There is no in-between. We, we want to pretend like there's some kind of imaginary line out there that we can walk, a line that says, well, I'm okay over here because I'm not taking wrongly from others. But I'm saying when you don't give, you are stealing from those in need. There is no in-between. You are either radically generous or God sees you as a thief. The Bible talks about a tithe in several places, you know. The tithe being that portion of money that we're to give to God. And I have very little interest in talking about the tithe today. But I at least want you to think with me about one thing. Why does God, people want, why does God want his people to bring their money to him? And I think it's this. So that you will remember that your things and your money, they aren't really your things and your money. They belong to God. You see, you certainly can't say, well, but it was me who did the work. You know, well, who gave you that opportunity? Who gave you that talent? Who gave you those gifts? Who gave you those abilities? You didn't earn any of those. God provides for you so that you can meet the needs of others. I don't need to tell you that we live in a very, very broken world. A world full of much pain and suffering and misery and hurting. You turn on your TV. It's all over the news, right? But closer to home, just drive through this city and see the misery and brokenness and hurting. It is supposed to be God's people that bring the healing and mercy to this world. And they do it through giving. Now, of course, that means you should give your money. And you should give it freely. But it also means that you are to give your gifts and your abilities and your talents and your time to those in need. See, there are opportunities in this church and in your neighborhood to give regularly and consistently. And give to a point where it hurts you. Listen, the diaconate at this church, it is the mercy ministry of our church. I'm telling you, the problem that should face the diaconate is that so many people are approaching them asking how they can give and how they can be involved and how they can serve that they have a hard time coming up with a lot of things for you all to do. God calls you to give and to give freely and to give generously. Get involved in what God desires to do through his people and bring healing to a broken world through through generosity. Listen, that is what God did. See, how is it possible for you to become a giver and not a taker? Because I think it is much easier to say that than to actually do it. 
In that passage we read earlier out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is encouraging the Christians at Corinth to give. And it's very, very interesting how he does this. I don't don't know if you noticed this, but he says in that passage, he says, I am not commanding you. And here we are talking about the commandments. And Paul says, I am not commanding you. And then he basically says this, look at Jesus. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. What I'm saying is this. Paul understands that the command cannot set you free to become a giver. And that's why Paul will not command the Corinthians to give. He is saying this. Understanding what Jesus did is what sets you free to give. What you see in the gospel is Jesus becoming poor in order that you might become rich. What did he do? He gave himself for you. He brought healing into this broken world through his generosity. Now I want you to listen to me closely. We'll bring this to a close. I've told you this before, but I'm going to say it again. I love my family. Okay, I have a sweet, good-looking, godly wife. You know, the, the whole package. I have three beautiful kids. Uh, William, Kennedy, and Caroline. They're moving around a lot in the pew I see right now, but they are beautiful. Um, I love them. Here's the thing. I'm also blessed because I love my job. I absolutely love this job. I, I, I don't know if you have this blessing, but my paychecks feel like a bonus every time I get them. Don't take my bonus away. My wife will be upset. Um... But I love being here. I, 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 am, I, I am thrilled to get to see God at work in your lives, individually and corporately. I am in the people business, right? You know, and, and there is no bigger honor than, to, than to, to be invited into people's lives and to be involved there. You are the reason I love what I get to do. But you need to hear me on this, and you need to hear me on this very clearly. I would never trade my family for you. I would never give up my kids for you. I would never sacrifice my family for you. And you're great, you're kind, and for the most part you don't talk back, and you can dress yourselves, and you can eat food without getting it all over the place. But I can never give up my kids for you. John chapter 3, verse 16. We are talking about giving, and it's such a familiar verse that we often miss it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. How could you be a parent and not be blown away by that? I cannot begin to fathom the depths of God's love. And here's the kicker. He doesn't love you because you're so good. Even though you're a thief, he loves you and gives his son up for you. Do you remember what we said earlier? When you steal or take, you are saying, God is not good to me. And God is saying, look at the cross. This is how good I am to you. I give you my son. How do you get free to give? You see Jesus. Your heart is needs to be broken and my heart needs to be broken by the goodness and generosity of God 
You see, money and things and stuff, they're not bad. Having those things, it is part of what it means to be a human. But what I am saying is that you can only be free to give when things and stuff stop defining you. And you are defined by a Savior who is stripped of everything on a cross in order to give and to cover you with his righteousness. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we gather together this day to worship you because you are indeed a giving God. And you gave your one and only Son for people who do not deserve him. It is through your gift that we have life. And we pray that you would change us through that gift. That you would cause us to become radically generous in this broken world. That we would be generous not only with our money and things, but that we would be generous with our gifts and our abilities, with our time and our energy. Father, transform us and make us to look more like Jesus, in whose name we do pray. Amen.